0: TheYeshiva.net Okay, good morning everybody. Afrelich and Purim cotton to one and all. Toiv Mishta Mishda page 240. The second column. Teira Eir, Heisafes Megillah Sester, Kofchaf Amud Dalet, Kofchaf, column 4. Page 240, the second column. A few lines before Siv Ches. A few lines before the 8th Perich Ches, A few lines before line starts, Like four lines before the beginning of uh, chapter 8, This is the meaning of something the Jewish people say to Hashem. In Hashirim, there's an expression, Simeini ali Place me, like a seal, on your heart. Simeni, place me, ali alibecha. Like a seal on your heart. What is the meaning of this? For amru So on this pasuk, there's an interpretation in Zoihar. It's in zohar in two places, in parshas va'yichi and in parshas mishpatim. That the emphasis here is kechosim, alibecha. I'm asking you that the relationship should be like a chosim, a seal. Why? Says the zoyar, the afal gav the ozil Even though it go, you go here and you go there, the yukna. The imprint, the visage, the image of the seal remains in you forever. Zoya explains there, what's the novelty of a choysem, what's the chiddush of a seal. When you, when you imprint the seal, the choysem, we spoke yesterday about the tabas, on something, on a document, etc., the seal, the seal itself go, is gone. doesn't remain there. But its imprint remains fixed. So, <laughs> ali becha, says the Zohar that sometimes a Jew asks Hashem and says, I want your seal to be on my heart. This chosem, the seal of elikos, of truth, of godliness, of infinity, should be on my heart. What does that mean? I may go here, I may go there. There may be what's called a form of detachment. Because the chayisim is gone. The chayisim, the seal doesn't remain there. But the imprint remains forever. Simei ni diyukne b'chala o'ylam, in the words of desire. Azal hacha v'hacha, a person goes in many different directions. But there's the diyukin, the, the imprint of the seal, chayisim, that remains fixed forever. And it's also the other way, Simeenikhysem Alibecha, place me like a seal on your heart, so that the relationship always remains. Pirush, the yukni hainu sachisam. The word the ukni in Zaya means the letters of the seal, like the signature. The signet that is imprinted, that's the yukni. The oysis a chisel. Shaboy Nisha Rishimu mepchines pneumi is viharatza. And there you have the residue, a roysham, an imprint, the residue, the leftover, not the leftover, a roysham, an imprint of the pnimius of the core of the rotsam that was coming out in the seal. Like we learned that Ahasuerus said that I can't retract a document, an edict, that has the choysem, the seal that comes from the tabas, that comes from the ring of the king. The signet of the king. Why? Because the signature, the notarized signature, sealed, represents your your conviction, your will, your testimony. What's what's what we're calling here in spiritual language your pnimiyas haratzim. Aye, it's just a seal. It's just a few letters, Ruven Ben Yaakov or whatever your name is. But nonetheless, those letters capture. They embody the soul, the desire, the rotsen of the king over the person signing. And even though the seal is already gone, but its imprint remains fixed forever. And that's the nekuda of a Jew. That even though Haman tries to get the, the ring of the king, but ultimately it goes over to Mardechai. Mardechai gets it. So as the Balatanya explained, what's the idea that Marduchai gets it? That Knesset Yisrael is Dovuk, it's linked essentially with Atzmus HaLakus, with the essence of the Ein And this is what he said, you see this, that with all the pleasures in the world, there is the void that remains unfulfilled. Why? It comes from this Chaisem. So, Afal Gav, the Azal Hachava you go here and there, you're not anymore part of the Chaisem. It, like it would seem like, and this is the great Chiddush of the zay that you're detached. May live, the seal remains on you, so you remain connected. But the seal has touched you and then it's gone. But once it touched you, it's never gone. Because it remains entrenched, ingrained in your very essence, in your very core, and therefore ultimately you're going to come back to this. Isn't there a problem with the, uh, the possum also? It helps to give a against someone that is. Indeed. That's why it could be such a powerful testimony. Right. Where does it come from? From birth? It's speaking about from yeah. the Ian has it? Yeah. Ian's breath. was from Parsina. Yeah. 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 So he may turn here and may turn there and may run here and may run there and look for this and looks for that. And it's all part of that void that he or she is trying to fulfill. But until the person doesn't find that chaisam, until the person doesn't find the true yearning, what the void really is about, so all of the comforts and all of the treasures that the person may come across and all of the distractions ultimately will not fill that empty space in the heart which feels vacant because deeper than everything there's a ratzai that he has to address and that's the primius haratzon of hashem that's in him the choshem of elokus the ein Soif, the infinity that he's looking for that he wants to touch that he wants to connect to so at one point that boy to feel right there's um a parable that was given for this for this concept by the B'hilil of Parij. the Hillel of Parij. Parij, is a city in uh in the Ukraine, I think, right? And uh, Reb Hillel was a chassid of the Balatanyan, of the, his son, the Mittler Rebbe, and his grandson, the Tzemach Tzedek. He once gave, they say, a marshal from him. That there was a person who um, who was very musical. He had a tremendous khush, a tremendous sensitivity for Nagina, for, for music, for song. And when he heard a song, it touched them deeply. People who are sensitive to Nigin, it can transport you. Music can transport you to a different world. You can melt in the music, so to speak. So this Jew, this person, he, he once heard a song. He heard somebody singing a song. And the song just triggered such profound experiences and emotions and awareness in him, it transfixed him. And uh, he took the song with him. And he vowed to himself that he's going to remember it forever. But alas, he forgot the song. And it drove him insane. He was yearning to reclaim that song because the song, Mamish, touched him in his deepest core. And he started to travel to all the possible places where he might have heard the song. And he asked people to sing songs to him because he wanted to hear that song. And whoever was capable of singing the song and even people who weren't capable of singing, he went to every concert and every symphony and every concerto and every performance and every opera and every cantorial presentation in order to be able to maybe hear that song. And he spent money And paid singers and composers and musicians. And he heard a lot of beautiful songs. Some not such beautiful songs. And even though he forgot the original song, but he knew that the songs that he's hearing is not that song. They didn't touch him in the same way. You know, you could forget a song, but you know that you're not hearing it. And he searched and searched and searched to find that song. And people were singing. They said, Vazvilstu, he said, it's a song, but it's not that song, it's not my song. So he said that the neshama, the soul, has a chysom. It has a seal, Alibecha. It has a song, it has a niggin. It heard the song, and it's it's the soul's nigin, that's my nigin. You come into the world, and the soul is looking for the nigan. And it travels everywhere to hear that niggin. And it pays money and it buys these toys and it buys other toys and it travels interesting places and meets interesting people and discovers interesting things. But really I'm looking for the niggin. So I finish with this, I get bored of this next. I'm looking for that song. And you hear a lot of songs. Some songs are nice, some songs are lousy. Likute Maharan is an expression that everything has a niggin. Everything in the world, even every blade of grass has a niggin, every shrub has a niggin, every tree has a niggin. So it works well with it. Is each person's custom different? There is an akudah that's identical by every Jew, but of course there is the individual neshama as well. But it's that niggin, I'm looking for that niggin. And then, and then when you hear the niggin, you know that's the niggin. That's the song. There's an explanation from the Chidush Harim. It says in says, "Shma b'ni Musar Avicha, Right, listen, my son, to the Musar of your father, and don't let go from the Torah of your mother. So here it says Musar, and here it says Torah, right? So the father like gives Musar, and the mother teaches. The mother gives Torah. But a more important difference here. Here it says, "Shma b'ni Musar listen to the Musra of your father, and don't abandon Taira Simecha, where it could have said Shema and Shema B'ni or Shema which would have been more, more logical. So you could say it's just, you know, for the poetry, for the prose, but in Tanakh every pasuk obviously is precise and meticulous. So the Pshat is, it's brought in Sifre Echzidah, that there's two, form, there's two sources of information. There's two sources of Taira. This There's the Torah you hear from your father. A good father is supposed to educate his children in a loving and nurturing and meaningful way, with discipline, but mostly love. So it's Musa But then there's another Torah. This Torah doesn't have to be taught to you. It was already taught to you. Because the Gemara says, That a child, a fetus in the womb of its mother learns the whole Torah. So already... Pre, in the pre-verbal self in the pre-self conceptualized self when the embryo is beginning to form and the fetus is beginning to develop there is the there is the that's that's ingrained entrenched in the psyche and the soul of the child so this you don't have to have this is the Torah of your mother this is the Torah that comes from your mother in the womb of your mother, it, it, it came into you. And therefore, throughout your life, you'll hear a lot of things. You'll hear a lot of things. If it's if it's real Torah, it'll resonate. Because you already heard it. If it's real Torah, you already heard it. It resonates deep inside. Because the diyokin, the yukne ishtayi it's going to resonate. You know... In many ways, how do you know you're hearing Torah? How do you know it's real Torah? How do you know you go to a Sheer, yeah? Where you read, how do you know it's real, real Torah? How do you know it's real Torah? The answer is you knew it already. You knew it already. It doesn't mean you knew all the information, obviously not. If, but it means you knew it already. It, it, res- it resonates in a very deep place. The depth of the soul. Now this doesn't mean, it doesn't challenge you. It may challenge me. It may challenge me very deeply. It's good if it challenges me. But it doesn't challenge me in a way that it turns me into another person who I'm not. It's not information that uproots me from myself and turns me into some zombie. Then you've got to be very careful. You have to be very careful. It, 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 in the deepest place It resonates. Yeah. It may challenge me because that deep place may be very concealed and repressed. But if if I'm hearing new Torah, really new Torah, it's not Torah. Right? The Gemariah says, right. Right. If it's a real chiddush, is nishgut. It if it's a real, real chiddush, if it's a chiddush, is good. But if it's a real chiddush, it's nishta because it means it's detached. So. This is the diukne ishtar b'chalo oylem. Wherever a Jew goes, we don't only mean geographically, of course, You mean spiritually, emotionally. Ozel hoche v'hoche, but the diukne, there's the chosim of ein soiv, there's the chosim of a lakus, that ishtar b'chalo oylem. And as the Balatanya said, as we learned yesterday, that a person could go and chase his whole life, so many different things. And he thinks he's chasing that, and he is chasing that. And yet he gets it, and there's still that... that The the aspiration to something. There's, there's a depth. There's an inquenchable thirst and yearning that comes from a different type of void, and this void must be addressed. And this is the tabas hamelach. The tabas is the makif. It's the soiviv. The makif and the soiviv means that which may not be conscious in you. That it. It suits your capacity. You can identify what it is. You understand it. It's what we call lemaila minatam vidas, Even though it's 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 your mamish your essence. The muscle of a Yeah. A special muscle. It's a special muscle. And then and then when you hear the niggin, you're like ah ah aha. So it pertains to a person's life, like maybe one person's to another is to learning, another to a certain type of learning, um, another one likes to learn a certain type of question, so like that's their song, and they, they get that song, maybe? It's like coming home. It's like coming home, yeah. It's... music of the soul. The music of my soul, yeah. The music of my soul. We all like a lot of people, you yeah, and, and, you, and you know, you know, this is, this is a niggin of a Sinishmai niggin. It's not my Nishama's niggin. It's a niggin. So how, how could it be that a year born as a Jew it becomes very assimilated? Uh-huh. So even when you speak with them, the smock Torah, the Torah, doesn't sink, doesn't, they don't feel it They're with a niggin from the bottom, it's returning to the face, turning to the back. Does a born great artist be born to be a great artist? He's doing a little bit. Someone learning, he knows something only if he does. Right, right, right. So that's part of finding ourself is to helping other people. And sometimes the resistance and the negative is also part of this. I want to share with you my. I think. I heard it from Rabbi Adin Steinsaltz, Rabbi Adin uh, Evan Yisrael, you know Rabbi Adin Steinsaltz from Yerushalayim, huh? the, the one who made the Gemara, the Steinsaltz Gemara, a lot of Svarim. He's a brilliant man, Four Slayman. So I once heard from him many years ago. I can't say I remember the story verbatim, but the Teichen I remember quite well. It's a very, very powerful message on this Mahalach, on this, this guy. It was Shabbos morning, he was going to Davin. He lives, or lived then in the Moshava Germanit, the German colony in Yerushalayim. And he Daven Shabbos morning in uh, the old Stadt, in the Rova, in the old city of Yerushalayim. There's a Rova, there's a shul called Samach over there that was built by the Tzermach the grandson of the Malatanya, in the 1800s. And it was actually the one shul that survived the Jordan, Jordanian occupation of the old city of Jerusalem from 1948 to 1967. 19 years, Jews that had no access to the Koisel and to the old city of Yerushalayim. When Israel liberated those territories in 1967, so the shuls were terribly disgraced. Destroyed and this this shul remained intact and they rededicated it and rebuilt other shuls ultimately. So he goes there Shabbos morning to daven. It's like a nice little shul over there in the old city, uh, in the in the Rova, huh? in the Jewish quarter, yeah, in the Altstadt, yeah, the Rova. It's called they call the Rova. So he was walking from the German colony. I don't know if it's a forty-five minute walk, forty-minute walk, an hour walk. It's a stickel mahalach. And he meets somebody in the street, somebody he knew, he was acquainted. I think he identified him as an extremely left wing Israeli artist. And you know that left wing Israelis are really left wing, and not like American left wingers. American left wingers, though America's catching up today. But uh, Israeli left wingers have a special chush because of this chosim. <laughs> because of the chosim, they have a. <laughs> it's unique. He says, Shabbat Shalom, Shabbat Shalom, Ashlem Cha, Ashlem where are you? He says, Where are you going? He says, I'm Going to Davin, Shabbos morning. It was early in the morning, wherever it's time. He says, Where are you going? So he says, In your Shalayim, there's a place you could still get bacon and eggs. We well, covered Shabbos Kodesh. He makes sure to go to this place where you can eat davarachi, uh, you can eat Chazir for Shabbos. He says, what are you doing for lunch? He says, for breakfast, what are you doing for lunch? He says, there's a place you can get shrimp and lobster. So the covered is he goes to that place. And for Shalashudas? <laughs> for Shalashudas a place where you can get real Yaya Nesach. So that's where he goes. What do you do in between? So in between, he says, he makes sure to go to the beach with books so you can be over on Tiltal, Dalat Amis carry his books, and read them, and so forth. So Rabbi Adinstein's smiles, and he says three words, <laughs> I'm jealous of you. So the guy says, Of course you're jealous. You're going to a boring shul to do your religious things. I'm a free person, I can do what I want. Of course you're jealous of me. I don't have the, the burden, the yoke of religion. So he says, He says, I'm not the reason. He actually grew up as a secular boy. He became a Baltruva later. So it's not the reason. So why are you jealous of me? So he said, "I'm jealous of how deeply Shabbos affects you." I can't say that about myself. I go to shul. I go. I come back. Right there, another Shabbos. He says, "For you, Shabbos affects you so deeply." You can't just stay home and, and do nothing. Relax, read, sit on the couch. No. You have to look for a place with bacon and for shrimp and for non-kosher wine. You have to make sure to violate Shabbos as much as possible. So he says, I think it would be true to say shagam Atashomer Shabbat. You also observe the Shabbos. You just do it in a different, untraditional way. You also Commemorate Shabbos. You just do it in an untraditional way, and I think you do it even more than me. That's what he told them. The heist, but uh, but the yid became a shomer Shabbos. The yid became a shomer Shabbos because he noticed from this itself what's what's this resistance? You don't. You don't. That's why you'll see very often that Jewish atheists I often say this in lectures the best way to say it is Jewish atheists deny God with a religious fervor. (laughs) An atheist is supposed to be not religious. But we have today Jewish atheists they're very religious. They're religious in their atheism. But if you're a real atheist where's this passion coming from? An atheist by definition I guess that's an agnostic. Really, the definition of atheism is a little complicated because how do you know not? You don't know, yes. But this, the passion. Where's the passion coming from? It's almost like I'm trying to get rid of something that's very deep in me. So the Chiddush here, the nekuda the Balatanya is teaching us here, which became a Yisoyed, a tremendous fundamental idea in, in, in Yiddishkeit Bechlal and emphasized especially in Teres Hanister, by the stu Balshamtav and his students and the Teres Chabad, is this Nakuda that the khisim of eight Soiv is imprinted in the very core of his psyche, even if it's not consciously understood and processed and accessed and explained. And that's why it's called a tabas, it's called makif, it's called soiviv, it's called La in Asikel, it's called La in Tamvadas, it's called the Khaisim. I'm not indifferent to it. I once heard from Eli Wiesel, Allah Shalom, He was a Holocaust survivor. He came from Vizhnitz, came from a Vizhnitz family in Siget. He went to Auschwitz. So uh, he used to quote all that. He once said a line. He said, it's a deep line. He said, Jews can love... God. I'll quote him as he put it. He said it verbatim. Jews... Can love God Jews can hate god Jews can't ignore God they can love or they can hate they can't ignore they can't ignore what 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 is the, why can't they can you can't ignore it 's like when you're married to somebody <laughs> you can love your spouse you can have a lot of issues with your spouse you can't ignore them you can try to ignore them good luck it's going to last for a few hours it's going to last. I grew up in a house, my father was an editor of a Yiddish newspaper, the Algemeiner Journal. So we had a lot of Yiddishistan in our home. There was an era for a few decades, more than a few decades, where in America there were many Yiddishistan Jews who spoke secular Jews, many of them socialists. They spoke a brilliant Yiddish and their whole culture was revolved around Yiddish, but nothing to do with religion. So this is called the arbitering. You heard of the arbitering? Nobody knows about it anymore. Huh? The workman's Circle, the Farvitz, the Farvitz was a daily Yiddish newspaper, socialist newspaper. At one point, it had a quarter of a million readers. You have to understand the power: quarter of a million readers daily. This is before internet. It was your one source of 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 news to the world. So, my father had a lot of interactions with them. He worked with them. They were an interesting breed, all Yiddish. All Yiddish, but despised Judaism. Yiddish on Yiddishkeit. And it was a whole culture with literature, rich literature. At one point they had 600 Jewish schools, Yiddish schools. 600 Yiddish schools. Today there's maybe three left. In the States? Uh, in the States, in South America, yeah. In the States and Canada. yeah, uh, Peretz, Peretz schools, Yud parrots, Peretz, Shalom Aleichem schools. All these Yiddishistan schools. So a whole world, there was a whole world of hundreds of thousands of Jews, maybe millions. Well, nothing remained because their children already, you know, assimilated into larger culture. What should they speak Yiddish in America? What, what What's the value of Yiddish? If you're living in Williamsburg, you'll speak Yiddish. If you're living in Muncie, you're living in barpark you'll speak Yiddish. Yeah, but what what is the value for them to speak Yiddish when they wanted to integrate? They still have offices in New York City. Yeah, YIVO. You have the Yidd- Yiddishist offices, yeah. A lot of money left over there, yeah. Okay. <laughs> So, uh, so I knew a lot of them well because growing up, they would come to the house. It was a, they were they were an interesting breed, very interesting breed. And uh, so, I was once speaking to the head of the Farvets, the Farvets of which was the forward. It uh, later converted into the forward. So he shared with me they used to do an annual ball, um, a ball, uh, a banquet, like a dinner, a, a festive, festive evening. For all of the employees and all of the members of the workman's circle. Hundreds and hundreds of people. So I said, Did you have a date for the ball? When did you do it? He said, Yeah, the night of Yom Kippur. The night of Yom Kippur. I said, What's the night of Yom Kippur? Why do you do it on Tubishvat? Toyomtev. <laughs> Not gonna do it on Tubishvat. No. Why didn't you do it Yitzayan Shvat? Why do you do it Tessader? If Yom Kippur doesn't mean it, choose! It happened random, like Haman's Goydol fell out on Yedgibel Adir, It happened randomly. They had to do something on Yom Kippur. A Jew needs to observe Yom Kippur. Because there's a choysem. There's a choysem. He has to observe Yom Kippur. He doesn't know how to observe it. And there's a gravitational pull. Sometimes it's in a positive way, and sometimes it's like, I'm not going to fast Yim Kippur like my Zayde used to do. I'm going to eat on Yim Kippur. But that way I maintain a relationship. Negativity is maintaining a relationship. We know in psychology, sometimes when you want to be connected to somebody, you have to continue to hate them. It's Nebach that this is the way you have to connect. But sometimes I can't let go of you. But I can't love you because there's so much pain, so I have to hate you. But hating you, there's an expression of the rebbe. the depth of hate is always commensurate with the depth of love. The emotions that you have towards your mother is like no emotions you have towards anybody else. But the emotions you have towards your children or towards your spouse. Why? Sometimes very negative, because... It touches you in the essence of your soul, but you never made peace with it. You never embraced it. That's what the pshat, simeni And this is not something that he can always consciously identify and clarify. If yeah, he would know exactly what his void is, what he's looking for. He doesn't know what he's looking for. He just knows this is not good, this is not good, this is not good, this is not good. He needs another revolution, another revolution, and something else, and something more, and something else. But what you're looking for is not all of this. You're looking for something else. You're looking for something deeper. Just you don't know. Your mamas don't know. So somebody who doesn't see the Pnimias of a Yid just sees the Chitzanias will look at this person and say he's the furthest from Shabbos. This guy is the furthest from Shabbos. Somebody who understands the Pnimias says no. He's also connected to Shabbos. He's connected to Shabbos. There's a Gemariah Maseches Chagigeh in Bavli and in Yerushalmi, even more Bariches. Same Nakuda. The, the Gemara says, There a Tana We once spoke about the story from another angle, about the names, but here I want to focus on one Nakuda, the that there was Elisha ben Avuya. Elisha ben Avuya is the only Tana we know who went OTD, as they call it today. Yeah, over the Derek. Kitsitz ben He completely left Yiddishkeit. Now, this was quite news at the time, because Elisha ben Avuyah wasn't a, a kid who was uh, ADD, ADHD, PDD, thrown out of nine schools uh, by the time he was by mitzvah, and then thrown out of the house, and ended up in uh, footsteps. Uh, Elisha ben Avuyah was considered a tchava of Rabbi Akiva, a Rebbe of Rabbi Meir. He was like Mammosh from the G'deli Hadar, from the greatest of generation. It was a ga nailam, a huge talmud. I mean, he was like from the and he left. He left. So this, this was you understand what it did. It did. It wasn't a regular story. And it's the only we know. There were hundreds of tanoim and amirayim. We know of only one. It made an impact. It made such an impact that they don't call him by his name anymore. They call him Acher, the other one. So there's a story there that uh, Reb Meir was once giving a Sheer on Shabbos. The Gemara says. And Elisha ben Avuya was horseback riding on Shabbos. And he came by, and they told him, the Mayor, your Rebbe is outside. He stopped the shear, he went out, and he started to follow Elisha ben Avuya. Elisha ben Avuya started to uh, uh, move, go horseback riding. And the mayor was running after him, and he was giving a shear as he was horseback riding. At some point, Elisha ben Avuya told the mayor, Go back. I was counting the steps of the horse. It's Tchum Shabbos. He didn't let her go any further. Mm-hmm. So, I said, You also come back. He meant both things come back and come back. The Shibanova said, I can't come back. Why? The way the Yerushalmi says it is it was once Yom Kippur, Shabbos. I was horseback riding on the Harabayas. Around the place of the Kaidash HaKadosh, when it used to be the Kaidash HaKadosh. The Harabayas used to be a real mountain. Adrian lowered the mountain by a thousand feet or more. But it used to be a har like this. A real huge mountain. And he was horseback riding. It's a great place for horseback riding. And it was after the Churban Beis HaMikdash, a few decades, on Yom Kippur, on Shabbos, he was horseback riding. We are in the place where there used to be Kedosh Now he knew where the Kedosh was. He was probably alive when the Beis HaMikdash was still there. And I heard a baskel. And the baskel, I heard from behind the curtain, I heard Hashem say, Shuvu bonim shayvavim. Chutz, Mayacher, all children are welcome back. Besides, Acher, mm-hmm. so I can't come back. This is what he tells the mayor. I can't come back. I heard a baskel. You have kippur shachali is b'shabbes shuvah banam shavam chutz mayach. Now, when you think about the story, yeah, there's a whole shir of Yeshaber Salovaitik once gave on this. What's this shuvah banam shavam chutz mayach? How do you throw a yitz from shuvah? Did you kaddu and why is there a bas, baskel coming to him? Who goes horseback riding on Yom Kippur and hears baskels from Hashem? People in shul don't hear baskels. This guy was horseback riding on Yom Kippur. It's talking not an isrum in a but it's an isrum in, in beitzer, And he's hearing a baskel. Shuvah Banim Shevavim And he wasn't planning to do Shuvim. The pshat is that the Rebbeinah Shaloylam was telling him, you're not an acher. You're not an alien. You're a child. Look at what you're doing. It's Yom Kippur. You want to go horseback riding. So go to Montana. Go to Eilat. Go up north. Take a hike. And go horseback riding. Why do you have to come horseback riding on Yom Kippur in the base Kachay HaKadoshim? The Pshat is your heart is gravitating to Kaddish HaKadoshim because it's Yom Kippur. Instead of embracing it in a positive way, you're doing it through showing that you don't get nispol from Yom Kippur. You're going to go horseback riding. Zestach that you're a child. You're not an acher. So I explain why in Baveli it says Chutz Mayachin, you're Shalme it says Chutz Me'elisha Ben Avuya, because really the Baskel said Chutz but he heard Chutz Me'elisha Ben Avuya. The Baskel was telling him you're not an Acher, you're a child, and he heard that it's Elisha Ben Avuya because for him Elisha Ben Avuya and Acher became synonymous. It's all the same Nakuda. that the Yukeine Shtoyer bechalal oilam Afal Gav de Ozel Hachavah Hacha. You can go here and you can go there that the, the yoykin, the imprint of the Shtar b'chalailah, remains forever. Wow. So that's the source of Reformed Judaism? That people flock to their temples, especially young Kippur and Rosh Hashanah? Yeah. Yeah. A Jew feels something in Kippur. I once heard from my man Friedman. he said, go, imagine somebody stands someday." yeah? I'm not telling you to do this at home, but just imagine somebody stands Sunday outside of a church. This is not homework, I'm just, uh, theoretically. And uh, a a fellow Christian comes out, and you say, Hi, good morning, good afternoon, good afternoon, how are you? Beautiful Sunday day in New York. What, uh, How's your day? Awesome, coming out of the church. Tell me, do you believe in the Lord? (coughs) Of course, I believe in the Lord. If I wasn't believing in the Lord, why did I just stand there three hours screaming hallelujah? Of course, I believe in the Lord. Okay. Friday, a person stands in front of a mosque. Somebody comes out. Good afternoon. Have a good weekend. Do you believe in Muhammad? Of course I believe in Muhammad. Why was I now kneeling for five hours? Why was I kneeling if I don't believe in Muhammad? Why did I just finish fasting a whole month of Ramadan? Why am I praying five times a day? And why am I soon going to Mecca if I don't believe in Muhammad? Of course I believe in Muhammad. Then go to a Buddhist ashram. And some Buddhist monk comes out and asks him, do you believe in nirvana? Of course I believe in nirvana. Why have I been doing transcendental meditation for 35 years, I want to have one and all and all in one. Of course I believe in nirvana. And then go to a a a, a, Hindu, a Hindu monastery where a Hindu comes out and asks him, do you believe in karma? <laughs> of course I believe in karma. Why have I had this worm in my garden for the last 49 years if I don't believe in karma? Now he says, go to Temple Emmanuel on Fifth Avenue on Yom Kippur. <laughs> okay? A Jew comes out, <coughs> takes off his yarmulke, I don't know if he was wearing, uh, fa- uh, waves down a taxi, hails a taxi, Say, wait, 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 before you go into the taxi, tell me, you believe in God? Me? <laughs> me? <laughs> Who do you think I am, some sugar? Of course not. What do you mean? But you're coming from the temple. What does that have to do with anything? So you believe in God? No. Haven't you heard of, of Charles Darwin? Of evolution? I don't believe in God. Natural selection, I believe. I'm a graduate of Columbia University. So why do you go to the temple? He says, because it's Yom Kippur. He says, but, but you don't believe in God? Of course not. So so why Yom Kippur go to the temple? And he looks at you straight. He says, a Yom Kippur, a Jew, goes to the temple. <laughs> and it makes sense. <laughs> It makes sense. What, what is that? Because that's the chidische. Judaism is not a religion. We call Judaism a religion. There's Christianity, there's Islam, there's so many types of... And there's a religion called Judaism. And the question is, if it's true, what's true, what's not true? The vart is Judaism is not a religion. You can't be an atheist and be called a Christian. You're not. By definition, if you don't believe, you can't be an atheist and be called a Muslim. You can't deny the Buddha and be called a Buddhist. And yet, you could be an atheist and a Pashay Yisrael and you're called a Jew. We saw the Gemara in Sanhedrin about Achon. Achon Daph Memdalat. Afal pishin and Choto, Yisrael. And this is not stam Stamchoto. Achon was Yenet Moshe said, don't take. He took Yeshua, said don't take. Three Shirebim and the Gemara says Gili Arayis with Havoy Dezore. Achon was a real, real Tzatzka. <inaudible> what, what do you mean you're a Jew? You, you don't believe in anything. The pshat is that the relationship of a Jew and Judaism, if Judaism was just a religion, either you're religious or you're not religious. So if you're religious, you're a Jew. If you're not religious, you're a guy. There are a of people, when I came to Muncie, I didn't know this because I didn't grow up with it, but somebody was talking to me once and he says, My brother is a guy My brother is a goi. So I didn't understand what he means, so in my naivete, I started to think what happened, did his mother convert later, like, and it was interesting because he came from a very prominent Hasidic family, so his father married a non-Jew, and they had a baby, and then his mother converted, and they had him, so I'm like, wow, this is going to be a juicy story, I'm like looking forward to the story of of how it happened, how his father met his shiksa, right, in Sweden somewhere, I'm I'm waiting for the story in my simplicity if his brother is a guy he means he's a guy he's not Jewish and it took me like a few minutes to realize no <laughs> his mother is uh, is you know the guy that Yiddish yeah and then I realized it's not even a Shabbos guy; it's a Zunte guy, it's a guy, it's a guy, because the definition of a guy by him is, if he's not doing what the family does, or he's not following Torah mitzvahs, he's a guy. What is it based on? It's based on a very simple equation. The definition of a Jew is you're religious. If you're not religious, you're not a Jew. So my brother became a guy. But we see that the halacha doesn't see it that way. Afal mm-hmm. Even a Jew that shmadzich, forget about a Jew who's secular, a Jew who's sh- shmadzich, if he's Makadish and Isha, if he betrothes a woman, lahalacha, she needs a get. I, if he's not a Jew, if a, a Jewish woman marries a non jew she doesn't need a get, It's not kedushin. Here it's called Kedusha. It's called Kedusha. So even though the Gabi different halachas, yeah, wine or other things, will have the status of a non-Jew, the Poil Mamish, Kiddush of Kiddush. So what's the Havana here? The Havana here is that Judaism and the relationship of Judaism and a Jew is not a religion. Judaism is like the color of a soul. You can't change the color of your soul, change the color of your eyes. Judaism and a Jew are essentially connected, it's a soul identity. I can observe it, I could not observe it. I could be aware of it, I could not be aware of it. But I can't not be it. It is who I am. It's my spiritual genetic composition. I could say I'm not this person, but it won't change the fact that this is who I am. This is my essential innate identity. A person could decide one morning that he's a horse. You could decide it, right? And you could live that way. There are people who decide that they live that way. They live like horses. You could decide you're a behemoth and live that way. But it's not going to change the fact that you're not a behemoth, you're a person. Not that there's anything wrong in being a behemoth. A behemoth is a wonderful thing. It's just you have to know what it is. There's a bird and there's a mammal. and It's not about judging better or worse. Every, every niver in this world has its parameters. The rabbi once from Sydney sent me an email interesting email he got. Somebody sent him a question. He grew up in a Jewish home in Sydney, I guess very secular, somewhat traditional, and uh, he never liked Jews. He didn't like them. So when they started to date, he started to date, he told his mother, I don't want to date Jewish uh, Jewish girls, I want to date non-Jewish girls. And that's what he did. And he married a non-Jew. And he never even told her that he's Jewish because he didn't want to observe anything Jewish in the house. Not Hanukkah, and not Yom Kippur, and not Rosh Hashanah. In other words, mamish, no vestige. They have children, the children are Jewish. He never even told them they come from a Jewish family. Huh? He's Jewish. She's not, Yeah. yeah. And he writes, he sent me the letter, he writes that recently, he knows that his parents have a, fa- a plot in a cemetery for the family, for him too. But he doesn't want to be buried with Jews. So he bought himself a plot in the Christian cemetery so that when he dies, he's, he's going to be buried with non Jews. So, like, this letter is getting more inspiring by the minute. What's his question from the rabbi? He says, I have one problem. I still feel Jewish. So, I want to know if Judaism has a tradition through which I could officially become not Jewish. For example, baptism, they sprinkle the holy water on you. And you become a Baptist? Does Judaism have a way where they could sprinkle some water on me and un-Jewishize me? Because it's really bothering me. I just I don't I really don't like it. I want to get rid of it completely. And I want to know if Judaism has such a ritual. And he says, "Thank you for your help with this question. I know it's a question that's not usual for you. Probably you don't usually receive such questions. Now think about this question. Think about it." The man ran away as far as possible. He's not even ready to be buried after death with Jews. For whatever reason, I don't know if there was some pain or some abuse. I don't know the reason. I don't know the background of the story. But something in Judaism that he can't stand, he can't tolerate. And yet, he's coming to a rabbi, and he wants to know if Judaism has a ritual to make him officially not Jewish. But if Judaism is fake, phony, and fraud. Let's say we have a ritual. Let's say we could sprinkle on you chamishim uh, Sa'a, mayim sheuvim and make you uh, and make you not Jewish. Line of command is the whole a joke. You're running away from it. I wrote back to him. So there's good news and bad news. <laughs> the bad news is that Judaism has no ritual through which you could become not Jewish. That's the bad news. The good news is you're as Jewish as Moses. As King David, as King Solomon, as Rabbi Akiva, as Rashi, as Maimonides, you're as Jewish as all of these personalities. And you may not be as knowledgeable and as observant of them, but you're as Jewish. And because it's who you are, instead of hating it, try to learn how to make peace with it, how to embrace it. Because look at your letter. You ran away as far as possible, but you're still looking for Ju- to Judaism to help you disconnect. And the funny thing is, you think it's normal, <laughs> it's sane, it's rational. I once had a teacher, he's already in the Eilimahamas of Mohammed, with Melech Zvibel, he once said a story. I don't know if it's a real story or not, but it's certainly a, an interesting story. <laughs> Moshe Mendelssohn was the father of Reformed Jewry, Moses Mendelssohn. He himself, an interesting person. They say he used to do but He had children. Most of them converted to Christianity. And uh, he lived in, in Dessau, in Germany. And uh, so he had a Talmud. And he was the father of many of the Reform uh, the reform leaders and rabbis of the first generation in Germany. He had a student who completely left Yiddishkeit. And uh, he once came to an old rebbe of his. And he asked him how he's doing. And he said that uh, he's doing very well. But he has a psa, an inner void that he can't get rid of. He can't get rid of it. So he said, Avada, because you're a Jew. So he says, how do I get rid of it? So he says, you need more tumma in you. If you have more tumma, you'll get rid of it. He says, how do I do that? So he says, you have to drink the Nagavasa water. You wash morning negel so take some of the Ruach HaToma. Drink that water, you'll digest the tumah, and then you'll get rid of it. You'll be a happy person. This is what his Rebbe suggests to him. So the way he told the story was, the Jew took it seriously and he went home. And he started to drink negel water, to be able to ingest the tumah. And guess what? It was like a drug. It was like a pill. He started to feel better. He filled Manuch HaSanefer. So he became a Frumayid. <laughs> 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 he, he realized this is the power of the Negevah. <laughs> became an Eilachayid. It's all the same Nekuda. The Nekuda is that the Diukne Eshtar B'chala Olam. Afal <laughs> Gav a person dreitzach, here, there, 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 dreitzach. There's a lot of Hakafas a person makes in life, but the Diukne, there's the Choysem, mm-hmm. semanik Ni Ke and therefore, ultimately, as long as he doesn't fill that void, and the void is not a chit'saini is the void that he joins people who look a certain way. The void is a very deep one, it's a very internalized one. It's that niggin of ain't soif, that niggin of infinity. So, because the chaysim is there, it also can't be obliterated, because it's lamaila and that's the chiddush of makif. If it was an inion of pnimi, then if you don't feel it, you don't have it. The idea of soiviv means. Even if you don't feel it, it doesn't mean you don't have it. That's the difference of mamali and saivah. So Mamale means it depends on your experience of it. As much as you experience it, that's how much you have it. The tabas, which represents makif, means it's above you, it surrounds you. What's trying to surround you? It's not there because you feel that it's there. It's there because it's there even beyond your feeling. In fact, the fact that you don't feel it is not because it's not there, it's because it's deeper than your feelings. It's much deeper than you're feeling. So your, fill, your the filter that allows for you to feel things doesn't contain it because it's deeper. So it's not there, it's less. Makiv means it's there more. So the fact that I don't feel it doesn't mean it's not it, it's not here. There's things I don't feel it, it's not here. That's mamale. Soiviv means it has nothing to do with that. It's, 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 it's essentially here. If it's essentially here, it has a tremendous impact. It has a tremendous, tremendous impact on the person. No, I'll be Messiah with a story. I heard this story first from my father, many years ago. He heard it from the person himself. Then I read it in an autobiography that he wrote. I saw the story there also. It's a very, it's a very deep story. There was a Jew in Israel. He was known as Zalman Shazar. Zalman Shazar was the third president of Israel. The first one was Chaim Weitzman second one was Yitzchak ben Svi, And I believe the third one was Alman Shazar. He became a president in 1963, and he was a president for 10 years, till 1973. He was a left-wing, a real left-wing Jew, a scholar, a speaker, a poet, a socialist left-wing. He was the first education minister in Israel, a secular Jew. His real name wasn't Shazar. His real name was Rubashov. And he came from the Lita, he came from Lithuania, from a little town called (laughs) Demir. Today it became very famous because Demir Yeshiva came from there. Demir Yeshiva, the city is not called Mir, the city is called Demir. Demir Yeshiva is not the Mir Yeshiva, it's Demir. The name of the Yeshiva is Demir, right? It's not the Mir, just for uh, Jewish virtual, uh, Jewish, uh, what is it called? Jewish information, yeah. So he came. His, his, his family came from that town. He was named after the Balatanya Shneir Zalman. He was named to the Balatanya because his zayda was a Chabad Chassid. His elder zayda was a Talmud of the Balatanya. So they named him for this Balatanya. But this was the generation early 1900s, late 1800s, where most Russian Lithuanian Jewry left Yiddishkeit. People don't realize, but fifty, sixty percent left Yiddishkeit, including him, he himself. And he became a socialist Zionist, which was very compelling then. I mean, Hundreds of thousands of Jewish youths were, were, were allured into the, the visions of this grand utopia that will transform the world and turn it into a paradise. Karl Marx's socialism and uh, Theodor Herzl's secular Zionism and the combination of both and this swept through Eastern Europe. And now is not the time to elaborate on the history, but it was, was it 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 alerted, it. It brought in. It spoke to millions of Jewish youth, because many of them didn't see a future within Judaism and the Blat Gemara. They, for them, this was just a perpetuation of two thousand years of persecution, and they were looking for new isms. Every day there was a new ism. Right. Zalman Shazar was 15 years old. So later he changed his name from Rubashov to Shazar. Because Rubashov doesn't sound Israeli. It's not Sabra. It's a a European, Eastern European name, Rubashov. A Yiddish pronoun Rubashov. Shazar is more Zionist sounding. And Shazar is an acronym of Schneir Zalman Rubashov. Shazar. So it's called Zalman Shazar. That's how he's known. He was going up to Israel. It was then called Palestine. In the early 1900s, this is—he uh, was—he uh, was born probably 1890, so he was around 15 years old. This is right before the First World War, or, or, or I think shortly before the First World War. He was a young teenager. He was making aliyah. He would be from the chalutzim. You know what the chalutzim are? Yeah? The workers to build the land. And he really integrated, and he became a, a, a the first education minister, and then the president of Israel. And he was very well known in his day. The last Shabbos before leaving to Palestine, territory, he decided he's going to go visit his Zayda. His Zayda was a Shayid. was a Chabad Chassid, living in the mirror. And like a very, you know, a Fatzaitah Shayid, a real, real Ehrlich, uh, fine Yerish And he decided one Shabbos, simply out of respect to the Zayda, he's going to be with him. And he's going to follow that Shabbos. He's going to be with the Zayda completely. Despite his personal persuasion, he's going to be there fully. His grandfather was excited to see him, obviously. And uh, he put on his yamulke, and he went in, you know, out of Shabbos. So he describes this. My father told it to me when I was a kid. I think he heard it from Zalman Shazar. He went to the mikveh with the Zaydah before Shabbos, and they went to shul early, and they sang Hashidim together. And he said his Zaydah learned with him, from the Balatanya, and then they got ready for Kabbalah Shabbos. And they davened. He said it was so beautiful, you know, the old shtetl, simple Jews, most Jews over there were elder, they were singing Lechadoidi. And they went home, he says, at the table there was nothing but Negunim and divrei Torah of Ezeidah. And then Shabbos morning they woke up early and they learned. So they went to the Mikveh again and they went to Shul and he learned with them again, the Torah from the Balatanya. And they davened. And the whole Shabbos, it was just a Shabbos in a, in a very, very uh, observant niche. In a cocoon in the mirror, and Shudus uh, and the whole Shabbos, they Fabring together and spoke. And Mezade loved the fact that the Einikul was there. And was a Hamad Chacham. But so Shabbos Malava Malka Sunday morning Shachris, past Shachris breakfast, and then he was taking the. There were no trains in the mirror, but there was a place where the Balagolas were, the coaches. And you rented a coach, and he took you to a nearby, larger city. where There was a train station, he would take a train, ultimately would bring him to Turkey, and from Turkey he would get to uh, Eretz Israel. So after breakfast, uh, Sunday morning, the Zayda took him with his chamadat with his Chamadan with, chamada, with his suitcase, to the Balayagolis, to the coaches over there in the mirror. Over there, the Zayda told him, before he left, he said, we didn't speak about this a whole Shabbos, <laughs> But now you're leaving. And I know that you're going your own way. I want to tell you something. I want to tell you a tradition that I have. And I, I never heard this before. This I heard through Zalman, my father, through Zalman Shazar, that he heard from his We have a Messiah. There are three types of songs in life. There's a nigin that you hear it. You hear it. And uh, you like it, but you forget it. You forget it, and that's it. There's another niggin, you hear it, and you like it, but it doesn't stop playing in your head, like a mosquito buzzing. You know? You hear a niggin, like the CD plays over and over and over again, and it drives you crazy. You want to get it out of your head, it comes back. Both of those nigunim are not connected to your neshama. The first one you forgot, the second one is driving you crazy. The the third niggin, you hear it, it becomes ingrained in you. And... It doesn't drive you crazy. It's not always playing, but whenever you need it, you remember it, and you could sing it, and it's available. That's the nigin that's connected to your shayrus neshama. Your soul is rooted in that nigan. <coughs> and then he said to him, "By us, it's a that Chassidei chabad are their neshama is rooted in the Alter Rebbe's nigan, the nigan of the Dalit Bhavas. You know the niggin, yaya, 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 yaya. So he said, we have a tradition that Chabad's Chassidim's Neshama is rooted in the Altirebbe's niggin. But mainly he said, Shnei and you're named after him, so I want you to know, you're going to go through life. You're going to go through life. At different stages of your life, if you see that you forgot this niggin, it means you're disconnected from yourself, from your roots, because your soul's roots are this nigger. So if you forget this nigger, it means you're disconnected from your roots. Don't forget this nigger. That's what he told. And then he said, it says, The Gemara says in Brachas, so let me tell you Allah. He told him over a Rambam in Hilchis about Eretz Yisrael. He asked him a contradiction to another Rambam. <laughs> Tried to answer the question. Find the halacha. He gave him a kiss on his forehead. And he told him goodbye. He was a Jew in his 80s. So as I said he came to Eretz Yisrael. And a few months later he got a telegram from home that the Zayda passed away. Very shortly after. So he continues the story. And he said those words stayed with me. He was completely not connected to Yiddishkeit. Was at every major juncture in my life, whenever there was a fork in my life, says, Ad hayoy mazeh, as the secular president of a secular state, a Jewish state, but secular, when I have to make a serious decision, I have two ways to go in life, and I'm not sure which is right, I ask everybody to leave the room, I close the door, and I sing the Altireb is If the Nigin comes to me, I feel good and wholesome. And if the niggin doesn't come to me, then I know I have to stop everything and make a chesh ben nefesh and go back all the way to the source. See what's happening in my shayurash. And this niggin has escorted me ad hayoy This is what Zalman Shazar said. In the later years, even though he was much older than him, he started to come to the Lubavitcher Rebbe in Brooklyn. He came quite a few times as president. And he became much, much... The Rebbe, the Rebbe brought him very, very close to Yiddishkeit. Right? Much, much closer. A little while before he died, he came here to New York. And it was Yud Tamos. Tammuz. Tamos is a big Yom in Lubavitch because it's the Chag HaGa'ula of the Rebbe Rayats, who was arrested by Stalin and sentenced to death and he was saved. So it's a big day. So it's Alman Shazar, who came from Russia. He knew the Matzav there. Uh, what they went through, what what what, what Jews and Chesidim went through in Russia, he came to the Fabrengian Yedbeis Talmud. I saw the video of this, and I heard this from people, but nobody knew the reason, because I heard I read about this years, years later. And I don't know if this was Bekavon or not Bekavon. At the end of the Fabrengian, the Rebbe said they should sing now to Rebbe's niggas. Good. Which they used to sing at different occasions, at the end of the... When it came to the high part, before they started, there was a menagen, Rebbe he would start in a gunam. So the Rebbe went like this, that they should sing the, the, the climax of the Rebbe's niggin ten times, which goes and goes, you know which part. Now this is a niggan, the Balatanya made, it has four stanzas. And it's mechuvin connected to Dalad It starts with Hasia, then you go to Yitzira, then you go to Bria, and then this stanza is Atzilus, the high. And then they call come back and unite. It's a very, very. It's called a nigan mechuvin. It's a very, very. Uh, it's considered his uh, his nigan, even though he made a lot of niggunim like Avinah Malkenu and Kaldoidi and many other nigunim. But this, so they sang the nigan ten times, the high part, and Shazai was sitting there, and Shazai was sitting there. So I was a baby, so I can't tell you. I remember, but I saw they have a video of it, so I saw it, and I saw that he was sitting, and he was completely like like in a in a in a trance. He was like com- completely transformed. Now the Olim just thought, you know, he came from Israel. It's like a shmack and and Thousands of people were sitting it. I don't know if there was anyone in the crowd who understood the meaning of that story. He was a man. He was already in his 80s, shortly before his death. He ran away to the other extreme from, from Judaism and certainly Chesidah's. And at the end of his life, he's sitting by the Lubavitcher Rebbe, who's an enical of the Alter Rebbe. His name is Schneezama, surrounded by Chesidim in New York, and they're singing the Alter Rebbe's It was an incredible, incredible moment. The Rebbe was singing, he was singing, the Olam was singing, and uh, it represented, you know, this, this powerful Chosem, the stamp, the seal that sits in the subconscious of a person's soul, and you can go here, you can go there, you can go there. But when you have a pnimiyzdeka approach, so then the connection is never lost, and uh, it, uh, it 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 remains it remains for eternity. The same is true in every person's own life. You have to know you go here, you go there. People get lost. People get overwhelmed. But the chhoisem never goes away. The deokin, the chhoysim is maybe not here, but the diukin of the chhoisim is is imprinted in your heart forever. Okay. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at ww.theyeshiva.net slash donate.